Welcome to the We Need to Talk podcast. My name is Grace Presley, and I am a storyteller, writer, artist, and truth seeker. I firmly believe that the deeper we step into our truth, the more universal we find our stories to be. My inspired intention with this podcast is to hold space for you and your vulnerable yet inspiring stories. I invite you to come as you are, peel back the layers, and know that your story is worth loving. Join me each week as I share powerful interviews and inspiring stories with women that not only have found their voice, they have set aside their should-bes and not good enoughs and are standing in their truth. These women are you, and you have that incredible power inside of you as well. It's right there. Can you feel it? Welcome back to another episode of the We Need to Talk podcast with Grace Presley and Kimberly Borges. And boy, oh boy, do we have a treat for you. Today we interviewed Karen Kenny. She is a speaker, a writer, and the founder of Fearless Flow Spiritual Mentoring. She has been a student and a guide of A Course in Miracles for 25 plus years, and she's a certified yoga teacher as well. She's known for her storytelling, her sense of humor, and really her awesome Boston accent (laughs) and a bit of her potty mouth. Uh, Karen Kenny has just been a source of inspiration for me since I was first introduced to her uh, about a year ago, introduced to her and her work. And so Grace and I are so honored and excited to introduce you to the wonderful and the amazing Karen Kenny. Welcome, Karen. We are so excited to have you. Thank you. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just super jazzed. I love that you guys are doing this and that you're doing it together and we get to have a really fun conversation today. We are so excited. We've been talking about this forever. Oh my God, you guys are so sweet. I thought you were going to say, oh, we just talked for a half an hour before we actually I'm so excited. I know, and you're having some pretty cool people on too. I th- did you guys just have Kelsey Abbott on as well? And are you going to have her on? We are talking to her after we get off of this interview. Yeah. yeah, awesome. yeah. Right on. Kelsey's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Karen, you know, we just talked for half an hour because we know you. <laughs> uh, we should have been recording that part of it. But um, I am really excited to introduce the listeners to you. And so I would love to just have you introduce yourself. Like, who is, who is the infamous Karen Kenny? Oh, my God. Well, I don't know about infamous. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess how people for a long time, like we were just talking about this. I, I have been a yoga teacher for like 20 years for a, for a lot of people. So I'm kind of known in like different areas, I guess, in, in the world or in my life or whatever. So for many, many years, I was a yoga teacher locally and, you know, doing things at the Omega Institute in New York and things like that. And uh, but mostly for the past like five or six years, the heartbeat of what I really do. Yoga has become more and more peripheral, like it'll always be a part of what I do. But so people know me as a spiritual mentor. So I do spiritual mentoring. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. And I'm also known, I guess, if I had like quote, air quotes, known (laughs) for storytelling. So I'm also a storyteller. Uh, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm I'm a, I'm a, a bona fide mass hole, I always say, but I live in New Hampshire now. Uh, I used to live out in California. I lived out in LA for about eight years. But now I reside. I'm back on the East Coast. I've been back for like 20 years. Uh, and, uh, and I just basically, uh, when I got back from California, 
Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was a personal trainer when I first got back. And then I was like, that's not quite it. And then, you know, I had, I've had every job under the sun. I'm a blue collar kid. So I've been a waitress. I've been a bartender. I was a dog trainer. I worked at dog kennels because when I was little, I, I'm like, I'm a, I've been a vegan for 15, over 15 years. I'm a total animal lover. So I used to, I used to want to be a veterinarian when I was a kid. So like, I've done like all different kinds of jobs. I worked at Cannibal Lake Park, like everything you can think of like growing up. And I was just like, oh, I just had always had this this calling, like I knew I wanted to write and tell stories. I've wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid too. Um, and so I've always just kind of find my way. Um, let me say this, the better I got at quieting the inner, inner chatter of my mind, the clearer my instructions became. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so my spiritual team and, and the voice for God just got louder. Um, and I was able to listen better. It's like the voice was always there. I just got, became a better listener. And my, my ministry and my mission and my calling has just been really to help people transform their stories and, and to do what I call like moving from your story to your glory. And I do it through one-to-one -one mentoring and I'll also be doing it through my new group coaching program. And so uh, working, you know, closely with people to help them um, to, you know, get the fuck out of their own way and to, to not be suffering. Like that's really kind of like what, what I do is I, as I help people, you know, move from fear to love and to transform themselves so that they too are also able to show up in the world fully answering their divine call. So I don't know if that helps at all, but that's kind of, you know, what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So Grace and I know your story. Um, a little bit, you know, going back into your childhood, but I guess sort of maybe let our listeners in on why is that you're calling to help people relieve their suffering? Why, like, where does that come from? Where does that, you know, experience come from? Yeah. So I always say like, you know, if you're somebody who's been through whatever, fill in the experience, whether whatever the trauma is or whatever you've learned along the way, if you're one of the lucky ones or you are somebody who is able, I always say like, I think of it sometimes like an elevator, right? And if you get on the elevator at the ground floor, but you made your way to the top floor, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to send that sucker back down you know, to pick up the others and to lift them up too. And so for me, um, having gone through what I went through as a kid, once I kind of got on the other side of that story and I was able to transform it and move from victimization to like being victorious and being like, oh, you know, other people might find this helpful. And when you realize that like you are like responsible for your own happiness, because you don't know that when you're in it, like when you're yeah. suffering, you don't realize like, oh, I can either make myself miserable or strong, as Carlos Castaneda says. The amount of work is the same, you know? So for me, basically, the, you know, the short story, it's like, it, it's such a long story, but I try to condense it very shortly, is that, you know, I grew up, my biological parents, my mother and my biological father got divorced when I was two. My stepdad came onto the scene when I was like around three. Um, and so he was the person that I identified as dad, right? Even though he was, he was my, my stepfather. Um, my mother and my, my, my dad were like, you know, beautiful, young, passionate people. And I always say they were wicked smart in some ways and really stupid in other ways, you know, and, and they just had no communication skills. So you think about like, whenever I think now, like, so I'm about to turn 50 uh, in a couple of months. And when I look back, even at myself, 
at like 20, 21, 22, 23. Mm -hmm. And I think about if I had to have raised kids at that age, like what a shit show. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're barely even like knowing how to dress and raise yourself. Oh, Never yeah. mind trying to take care of a house and jobs and kids and nurturing and like all these things. So my parents like just did not have good communication skills or relationship skills. And so they constantly fought, like they fought all the time. It was like growing up in a war zone. And, and it was probably one of those relationships where there was an intensity of love, but also an intensity of like just tension and like whatever. And they were young and they were stupid and they didn't know how to pay the bills. And, you know, it's like, so, you know, our heat would get shut off or there'd be no electricity or, you know, there's all this shit that was always going on. And my mother worked in insurance and my dad was a Wonder Bread man. And, um, you know, my dad was also like, I always say like my, you know, my, my siblings sometimes are like, you shouldn't be saying that stuff on the, I'm like, look, I, I never signed an agreement that said, I don't talk about like what happened in my family. I'm not one of those kids. Like writers are not the ones who stay quiet. That's just not how it is, you know? And, and so like my dad, like, you know, we would always have like bookies coming by the house and I thought we were borrowing money, but apparently my dad was like collecting for them at night and just like all kinds of stuff. Like just crazy. It was a crazy, insane childhood. It's not to say that we didn't have a lot of fun at times, but it was a little nuts. And so my parents were always fighting. My dad was always leaving. Uh, you just never knew, like, is this the time it's really, the separation is going to be final. Mm -hmm. So one of these times when he was out of the house, they were separated. He was living at my auntie's house. You know, my mom was doing her best to like pay all the bills and everything on her own. And she was 33 at the time. Um, so just one of those nights, my, my mom and dad were both in the same bowling league. They'd you know, been bowling for years and years and years. My mom was actually a really good bowler. And actually, they both are. And um, so my mom had gone out one night. So this was in uh, May of 1981. Um, my mom went out that night. Um, Mrs. Turgeon downstairs was going to keep an eye on us and stuff. And, you know, we woke up the next morning. My sister and I woke up the next morning. Uh, and my mother's bed hadn't been slept in. And hence the story begins. And basically what happened is, uh, again, for the sake of brevity on the podcast, uh, it turns out that my, my mother uh, was killed. My mother was brutally murdered. Uh, she obviously did not come home that night. And from that point on, like, it was literally like my life changed. Like when people talk about that, I'm not in, I mean, I was, I was when I was much younger. I was about to say, I'm not an overly dramatic person, but I... <laughs> Um, but so I'm not an overly dramatic person. Like, so when I say like literally like overnight, my life changed, um, that is the God's honest truth. And my life was never the same again after that happened because my mother was kind of like the centri centrifugal, I think that's the right way to say it, force that like held all the moving pots of the different step families and families and the, just how everything worked in our world. And when she was gone, it's like everything, like my mother's gravitational pull was like really strong. So when she was out of the equation, just everything went fucking spinning out into space. Like everything just kind of fell apart. And, and look, in fairness, like there's no, there's no manual for like, what do you do when somebody in the family's been murdered, right? Like nobody, knew what they were doing and the adults were dog paddling just to deal with their own grief making decisions that they thought were quote unquote best for the girls but nobody was really asking us and the only thing that we did get to make a decision on 
Um, so my sister was 13. I was 12 when my mom was killed. My sister was 13. But both her and my mom's birthday was a week away. So my sister was about to turn 14. Um, and obviously, like, they had the funeral really fast. Like, she was found on a Thursday morning. Her body was in the ground Saturday morning. They just wanted to fucking put it behind us. And it was overwhelming the speed at which everything happened. And um, But my sister turned uh, 14 a week later. So by um, state law, she could have a say in where we lived. And so that was the one thing. And it was really like, don't get me wrong, my aunt and uncle were incredible for stepping up and offering us a home. So I don't mean this in a negative way towards them in this way. But it was kind of like, what's the lesser of evils here? We can either, you know, get shipped off to a Catholic boarding school somewhere in Rhode Island. Uh, we could, it wasn't really an option, but my biological father showed up. I didn't know who he was. Um, but he already had like seven kids in this new family with this woman in, in Illinois. And like, it was just like, oh, I'm going to go move away to live with a guy I don't know and his brood of fucking kids, you know, or we could stay in Lawrence. And that's really what we, you know, we grew up in Lawrence, Mass. So we stuck with what was familiar. So anyways, long story short, my whole world blew up. And from that day on, things were never the same. And I say, it changed the way that I viewed the world myself, men, violence, God, like everything that day, um, you know, just whoosh, the trajectory of my life shifted. And at that time, it was brutal. And it was, um, it was completely overwhelming. And it was um, devastating. Mm -hmm. But that wound ultimately became my greatest strength. And that is the work that I love to do with people is helping them to rewrite their stories with the divine so that we can understand that that thing that you think is your weakness, that thing that you think, you know, made you quote unquote broken is actually the thing where your strength lies. And that's the work that I love, love, love to do. And so I love to do it with story through story. Uh, which is why I love like, you know, Grace, you know, you guys both like have like love story too. That's part of the work that you do. Uh, so I totally feel you. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's again, to sum it up, that's pretty much what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Karen, I, um, I love that you can share like, thank you for sharing that and for allowing the listeners to hear that part of your story. You know, I find it so profound that you're able to, to speak about it in such a manner and then take, you know, this part of your story and help people transform their lives, you know, and I'm wondering too, where was that shift for you where you realized that your story could help others? You know, I know you are, um, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for with the course in miracles. Yes. You, do you feel like, I mean, I know that part of your story, how you found A Course in Miracles, but do you feel like that was one of the pivot points that you realized like being a, um, well, you're a teacher now, but learning through A Course in Miracles, that that helped you realize that you can shift that part of your story and help other people? Or where was that point where you, you just realized that it did not have to be like an open wound all of the time and raw, but that it would help transform others? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think before, I always say before you can, um, 
you know, it, it's literally that, that thing with, you know, on the airplanes, we've all heard this before where they say, you know, if you're traveling with small children, you got to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help the people around you. Cause like, if you're, if you're not getting what you need, if you're not doing that work for yourself, how can you, and in Course in Miracles, we say you cannot, you cannot give what you have not received yet for yourself, you know? And it's kind of like you, you basically, um, as you give, you receive, and as you teach, you're learning. So it doesn't mean that like it ends, like I'm constantly always still learning. And I think it could be really easy. Like we, we love that drama to say, and I'll never forget the moment when, just like when my mother died, it was never the same again. Mm -hmm. I will say like, not to over dramatize it. I do remember when I went, so I've been a student of A Course in Miracles for like 25 years. But I do remember the moment of reading that basically I was 100% responsible for my happiness. That the way that I was feeling was based on the way that I was thinking. That my feelings are generated by my thoughts. And if I don't like how I'm feeling, I could choose, as I say, I could choose a better feeling thought, right? Mm -hmm. So when I realized like, oh, I am actually creating my own experience all the time. I am responsible for how I feel. I am not a victim of the world that I see. So what happens is a lot of times something awful or traumatic happens. Like, hey, a day later, five days later, five years, 15 years later, unless you're like, let's like, look, I'm not saying all examples fit what I'm about to say. You might still be living with an abusive partner. Like some things haven't ended yet. But for mm -hmm. most of us, something awful happened. It's not happening anymore. We are not being victimized anymore by anything except for our thoughts. So we're the ones who are continuing the victimization. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like the thing stopped happening. What we're suffering from now is how we're thinking about what happened. Mm -hmm. So when I got the news from A Course in Miracles that basically I, I summarize it, I often say like, you know, pain is inevitable. This being human, call a spade a spade. It's fucking hard, man, sometimes this being human because we're insane and we get in our own way. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just the way it is. Like we make it often way harder than it has to be, but it's, you know, that it just is how it is. So, um, when, when I kind of got that, like, I always say pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. And when I understood that if I could change my mind, I could change my world, then, then everything, everything was just like became possible. And that was so exciting to me because mm -hmm. so often, I bet every single one of us on this call right now could raise our hands and say, at some point in your life, didn't you feel like it was all happening to you? Like you were being victimized. Like you were at the mercy of people bigger than you or the world or whatever. And let's, again, like really be compassionate here. When we are little people, when we are little kids, we don't have any control. We rely on people to feed us and care for us and keep a roof over our head and not abuse us or rape us or whatever. And not everybody... Not everybody does those things. We do get abandoned. People do get killed. We do get raped, uh, inappropriate touching, whatever the thing is, whatever the story is. And one of the other things that I realized too is that through working from A Course in Miracles is that, you know, even like my own clients and spiritual mentoring, my, 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 um, the people I work one-to-one -one with, mm 
they come to me for a lot of different reasons. And what I mean by that is they come to me with a lot of different stories, often of trauma and tragedies and stuff like that. And the details of the story, what I have realized over time, and this does not mean that I don't have reverence and respect for those details. Just, I just want to make a point. The details of the stories almost don't even matter anymore. Mm. We all suffer from the same thing. So we think we have a lot of special problems. We love to tell our stories and because they've got all these juicy details and all these horrible details and all these things, right? So we get really caught up in the story. But it's like what we're really all suffering from is the belief that we're separate from God. That is the only problem we all actually have. Because as soon as you believe that you are cut off from your source, that you've been abandoned from your source, or you chose to leave, or you are separate from the all-loving that is, of course you're going to suffer. So for me, it's not just about transforming the story. It's about also transforming that relationship with the divine. Whether you call it God, source, spirit, universe, higher power, mother nature, I don't care what you call it. If you feel disconnected from your source, you're automatically going to suffer. So for me, part of this work, too, is deepening that relationship to the true self, to love, right? And knowing that you are always plugged into that. And that's really the source of your healing. Transforming your mind, absolutely, but also then transforming how you believe yourself in relationship to to God or source or love or universe or whatever you want to call it. And so these, these pieces are like so important. And so when I became more, to kind of finally answer your question, to wrap this up, when I, when I was able to deal with and heal the way that I was relating to like, not just the story of my mother's murder, because there's a series of events and stories, you know, life, all of us, I'm telling you, we could, everybody here could write a memoir. You know what I'm saying? We all have multiple stories. Um, But as I realized that I had the tools to deal with anything that happened, that I was now in a place where, you know, I always say like this being human is like being in the fucking forgiveness Olympics. Right. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, oh, I have the tools to pretty much overcome no matter what happens. I will thrive despite, right, whatever stories like are trying to happen. And then I was like, oh, if I can do this, I'm not special. Right. I know that I can help other people to do this, too. And I have always been a helper. Haven't you guys like weren't you the like I was always that kid. I've always hated to see injustice. I've always hated to see people or animals suffer. I've always been a helper. Like that's just my nature. And I think most of the people that I know, most of us were like that, too. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, even if I'm at being a weirdo, like if I'm at a grocery store and I see somebody like doing something, I'll be like, oh, you know, you can do this. Like, I'll just totally talk to strangers. They probably don't always want my advice. I admit that. <laughs> it's like, I can't help myself. Like I've always wanted to help people like make things easier uh, and to help them. So if I can help somebody transform their suffering, uh, I'm not doing the work, but if I can hold their hand on the way and give them some pointers. Woo, that just feels so good to me. It lights me up. And that's how I know it's mine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. A Course in Miracles says your natural inheritance is peace and happiness. So that's a really good clue. If I'm not feeling peaceful and happy, that is a clue that I've taken a detour into fear. 
Mm. If I'm doing a particular thing like writing or speaking on stage or mentoring and I am feeling lit up, that's also a clue that that's my ministry. That's my mission. That's my message. That's my movement. That's what I'm here to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Uh, I had a, I had a question. So, so we had Tori Dubion. Um, oh, I love Tori. Yeah. She's amazing. Uh, and she just mentioned this thing about there being two, two parallel, parallel, or, or, you know, maybe even multiple stories happening at the same time. Yeah. And we don't always have to tell ourselves th- the victim story. And you kind of mentioned that your, you know, your childhood still had really fun, adventurous times. Is there any memory that comes up that you think back and you're like, it just lights you up, like, you know, thinking about your childhood or your sister, or your parents? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it, like, this is what's so fascinating. Um, when I look back and laugh about my childhood, it's not usually like, remember that awesome time when what I'm laughing about most of the time is how nuts. Like how nuts it was most of the time. So a lot of like, it's just kind of like I often say, people will really bond over a common enemy. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People also really bond over common suffering. Like it could be anything like, oh, remember that year in, you know, football boot camp where we had to do doubles and we were always puking and like now it's funny. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's kind of like how it is for me. When I look back, I mean, my, yeah, my happiest, I would have to say my happiest, happiest moments in childhood, I was either somehow attached to my mother physically, <laughs> latched right on, or I was with, I was with animals. Mm. And so, um, you know, there are times in my life where I think like, like when, so like when my sisters and I get together, like my, I have, I have so many stepbrothers and stepsisters. I literally can't remember all their names, but there's a bunch of them. There's like 22 of them or whatever. But the three that we grew up with mostly who I consider my brothers and sisters, uh, Kathy, Steven and Pam. Uh, so when like my biological sister, Kim, and then the rest of us get together, when we're talking about, it's never, it's never. Remember that awesome time when, it's like, do you remember the time when um, dad, da 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 Do you remember the time when, and it's, it's always based on some insane thing when you think, I can't believe we survived that. <laughs> but I will say, again, my happiest times are probably, my mother was like, I always say this, and I know most, I don't think I'm special. I know most little kids. Like, my mother was like, you know, the son that I revolved around. I mean, she was the light of my life. She was the love of my life. And um, she was the place that I felt most safe and most seen. And she knew I was a really sensitive little kid and she tolerated my curiosity and she put up with my, why mom, why mom, why mom? Like I always wanted to know everything. So my greatest joy is probably, um, I remember I used to go up if she was sitting somewhere and I would like put my head in her lap and just feeling her hands on my head like, I just love that as a little kid. And I loved anything to do with animals. So anytime I could be with a dog, like I was, and even now to this day, not to be, I get, I don't know if people see it as rude. Maybe they just see it as quirky or whatever. But if I go to somebody's house for a potty or whatever, the first, the first two questions <laughs> ask, where's the bathroom? And do you have any pets? And then I will immediately seek out the animals. 
<laughs> and I don't like if I'm like if I don't talk to other people, it's not that big of a deal to me. It's like <laughs> out with the dog, uh, because that's part of, for me. That's also part of my uh, sacred work. My spiritual work is um, loving animals. It's another one. It's another way that I, I serve. You know, so for me, it's like and it's a selfish serving because I get so much benefit from that. You know. Yeah. How many dogs do you have now? I have four dogs, two cats, and a bunny. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yes, the people, and I'm vegan, so like I don't eat eggs or any of that, but I really want a chicken. Like the people down the street, they have so many. Well, there's a couple of houses down the street that they all have chickens, but you know, they raise them for like, you know, eggs and stuff like that. But chickens' bums are like really cute. And every time we drive by and I see the little chickens, I'm like, hi, girls. And I'm like, oh my God, I want a chicken. And then the oh, chicken, other people have goats. There's a veterinarian down the street from me, and she, has three rescue goats, honeybee, Cleopatra, like they're the cutest things. And every time I drive by, I yell out the window to them. And I'm like, oh my God, I want a goat, like so bad, you know? I do, if I was rich, if I ever strike it rich, I would love to have a little animal sanctuary. Like I would, I would just, man, I would just I love that so much. We have 16 chickens and they're, they're amazing. You should totally get one. They're awesome. <laughs> you know, the thing is with chickens, I'm not saying you don't know this, but what people don't realize is they're really smart. They and are. Yes. They, they have their own personalities. Yes. They have yes. their own ways of communicating and they can recognize something like up to 20 different human faces. Yes. It's wow. so funny. Oh, because I have, I have one that's been with us for so long, um, but What's she, she follows a rugby. She follows me around. <laughs> <laughs> she follows me around. We'll sit in my lap. We'll peck at the back door and once in. And yeah. It's so funny. They're, they're the best. I mean, they are like all animals. Like, like the other day, just out of the blue, I don't know, I saw a random picture of a seahorse. And I was like, oh, my God, I want a seahorse. Like, I love <laughs> I just love everything. Like, literally, I meet a dog, and then 10 minutes later, I'm like, I miss that dog. Like, I just, I've got issues. I admit, I've got issues. But anyway. So let's talk about the, the animals and the what a peacock has significance to you. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you can see my peacock pillows behind me. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the whole thing with peacocks, well, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things is that, uh, so I just, as you guys know, I just started the Facebook group, the MFN, the motherfucking, the motherfucking peacocks. So, Whisper it. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I always try to be mindful. I've already dropped like seven F-bombs. So I'm like, okay, maybe you just want to, at some point I become aware, like, oh, you said a lot of F-bombs. Um, so um, yeah, the peacock stuff. So one, so like my people, like I often say like my people, some people call them their, um, their niche or their tribe or their target market or their avatar. I just call it my people, right? So, so my people are like, the weirdos and I always say did you guys ever see the, like the Christmas the Christmas special where they had the island of misfit toys <laughs> right mm -hmm. so like I'm, my people are like the misfits and the weirdos and the, the square pegs and the round holes we're the people that never really felt like we fit in and, and one of my messages for them is like because we're not meant to we're not trying to be shoved into some formula and we talked about this a little bit via social about social media and stuff like that too right like, so my people are the ones who have always just been kind of the weirdos. And I mean that in a beautiful way. And so um, that's kind of how I've always been too. Like, I've always been a part of the collective. Like when I look back to high school and whatever, it's not that I was on the outside and I didn't have friends. That's not, it was the exact opposite. 
but I felt alone on the inside. I felt different on the inside. So it's not so much externally what you're presenting, although, you know, when I look at like goth kids or like people who get a lot of tattoos or people who are getting a ton of piercings or when you're trying to differentiate from the crowd, that's like you're trying to make your outside look like your inside. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some of us look for whatever, for lack of a better word, normal or like everybody, I'm doing air quotes, right? Because what is normal even? But some of us may look like we fit in, captain of the cheerleaders, or I played softball, I did all this stuff. But on the inside, we feel alone. So there's that weirdo aspect. So just physically peacocks to me, they're just a weird big bird. Like if you've ever just seen a peacock walking around with like its feathers down, it looks like an alien. It's just like, what is that thing with like the really long feathers? And then you're like, it's a bird, but can that thing even fly? Like, what is up with that thing, right? So I just kind of love how they're just big, weird birds. But then a peacock, it's like doing its thing. And the way that I talk about it, you know, and people can say, no, that's just him trying to get a mate. Whatever, I don't care. I'm saying symbolically to me, when a peacock like has this memory of itself and it goes like, and like it spreads its tail feathers and you're just like, holy shit, right? <laughs> and he's just like, I'm a peacock, motherfucker. Like it's just like, like right in your face. This glorious display of who they really are. So we see a peacock walking around, tail feathers down, and we think like, oh, that's a weird bird. And then it goes like, and it shows you, this is who I really am. So to me, that's another way of saying I'm a child of God. And even though sometimes I play dumb, even though sometimes I forget when I tap back in, when I'm in alignment with the divine, when I'm doing my daily spiritual practices, it's like, oh yeah. And the beautiful thing about a peacock is they never apologize for being a peacock. They just do what they are meant to do. And it's like when a peacock sends up that radar, that flare with those tail feathers, it reminds other people. Like we look back and it's like, oh, I have those feathers too, right? I'm a peacock too. And so it's like an invitation to step into your true power and your true glory and your, the, the, who you really are. And the other thing too is like all throughout different spiritual traditions, I always say to people, educate yourself, just Google it. If you Google the symbology of peacocks, you'll see in Hindu mythology, like, you know, they're often associated with, I think it's with Lakshmi, which is like the goddess of wealth. So it's like wellness and wealth. And in other traditions, it's about, um, you know, light and glory. And like they represent different things in a lot of different spiritual, in the Christian religion, in the Hindu faith. Um, I think in, I don't know if it's Turkish. I'm trying to remember, but I did a bunch of research about them too, because I was just like, what part of me beyond I just love animals and I love peacocks and the whole thing. And when I started to, to read all the things, I was like, oh, of course, this makes so much sense. So there's really deeper meanings, but just in the most playful way possible, they represent to me the concept of not playing small, of showing up fully in the world. And it's like, you know, my friend Marion Williamson, you know, her famous quote when she says, you know, when, when, when you, I'm paraphrasing, but when you allow yourself to shine, when you give yourself permission to shine, you automatically liberate others and you give them permission to shine too. And mm -hmm. that to me is what a peacock really does is it's like, yeah, stop playing dumb. 
about who you really are as an extension of love, as one of God's kids. Like, go out there and shine your light and spread your feathers and do what you came here to do. Because I'll tell you, you know, losing my mom when I did, it taught me, like, so specifically that, like, our time is not guaranteed. Yeah. Our time here is not guaranteed. So if you came here with a ministry, with a mission, we each have our own individual curriculum. And there's a reason why we're here. And I often say, you know, and I always say the Course in Miracles police will kill me for saying this, but I mean it in, I mean it in like a symbolic kind of way. It's like, you know, the world needs help. God sent you, you know? And I just don't think there's anything attractive anymore about playing small. Like that being small and being victimized. It's like, no, if you just get that your greatest strength lies in those stories that you've been telling yourself, that you can flip the script, that you can transform it, like story to your glory. It's like miracles can happen. Yeah, yeah. I love that so much. Yeah, um, what you said about your people being the weirdos, do you really think that there are people who aren't the weirdos? Do you really think that there are people who don't belong no, on the island? No, Misfits? no, that's why my people is, is inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't They're really believe, like when we look back to how tribes, right? The word tribes first started, it started with like indigenous people and beyond. It goes all the way back to, you know, um, to Africans and it goes back to in, um, American Indians and um, Native Americans and, and it was like tribes and what tribes did like technically, right, is they separated and then they often fought each other. I don't use the word, I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not blaming anybody or judging anybody that uses that word, but I'm not into um, separation I, actually all the work that i do is based on the fact when you realize you are not separate yeah <laughs> so much of your suffering happens because you believe you're separate so when i say my people what i mean by that and you guys have known me long enough you always hear me saying my brothers and my sisters you know and i was i always say i was raised a catholic kid and so if anybody's all you know all the catholic kids are probably like they know as soon as they tell you they're all like mm -hmm. so the, even the prayer our father right it starts like the lord's prayer it starts our father, meaning all of us. <laughs> so mm -hmm. my people is inclusive. And I w I'm so happy you actually asked me that because people are like, but aren't we all weirdos? I'm like, yes, that's exactly <laughs> my point. Like, I don't have a specific, like, it's so interesting. Let's just talk about this for a second. It's so interesting in the entrepreneurial world, how they're like, you've got to find your niche, right? You got to find your tribe. You got to find your market audience. You got to, and I'm like, I know technically we're not supposed to help everybody, but I want to. <laughs> Men and women, I work with all the weirdos because here's what I know. Every single one of us on the planet has stories that we believe. They're just, you could say, they're beliefs that we've formulated because we are all natural storytellers and meaning makers. And we assign meaning to every single little thing that happens. And sometimes we have a collective meaning that becomes a story that we either tell ourselves about ourselves, each other, or the world. Mm. So yes, Kimberly, uh, I do think that we're all weirdos. That's the beauty <laughs> of it. So everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome into like being, because it's not just they're my people. 
I'm one of your people. It's all interconnected. You know, yeah. there's no separating us, any of us. So even if we like to say, I work with fill in the blank, construction workers, mompreneurs, artists, I don't care what the next word is, right? Really, we all belong to each other. It's just that I might have a particular skill set that is particularly helpful to a particular group of people, right? I don't need construction. Like one of my friends, um, his, his people are construction owners, right? They're contractors. Um, that's, that's not me because I'm not a contractor. But the work that I do is way, it's way broader, which can actually be challenging sometimes in a business. It's like, well, how do you market to everyone? Yeah. But yeah. really what it is, is that what your marketing is designed to do is that when people hear that, they go, oh, that's me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking about my people are the weirdos, who doesn't say, oh, that's me? Yeah. Because yeah. I just want to invite everybody to the party. I want to invite everybody to the love and to the healing and to the transformation, you know, because it's like, I don't want my brothers and sisters suffering. I see it, like I always say, like I call it, you know, how you're not supposed to shake babies, like that's a big no-no, right? <laughs> but I always say to my people, I say it to Emily Dietrich all the time, don't make me come over there and shake the baby because I'll come shake the baby. It's like so often we're so bogged down by these stories and these beliefs. And I just like to shake it up in there, like just get in there a little shake and bake, you know what I mean? So... <laughs> So, yeah, we're all so weirdos. We are, we are. And, and too, like even with a story worth loving, like I found it so hard just for business. Um, you know, you have to have a niche, you have to have a certain person. I'm like, but it's not like it, everybody has a story. And so I feel like it centers more around a message, your message rather than, than a certain person. And, and I feel like that's, you know, with the weirdo, with, with all your people, with all of, all of that, everybody being a peacock, it, it's in the similar similar manner. Yeah. Um, you can't, it's not just exclusive. And I understand for some businesses, perhaps, you know, you are with a certain niche or in that realm, but it's yes. so hard whenever you like everybody is a child of God, like bring it back to center and like bring it back to, I, I've just really started to dive into a return to love and of course, to yes. of course in miracles. And I'm like, why do they not teach this in school? <laughs> like, where, why have I been asleep for the past 32 years? Okay, Grace, you want to really answer that question? If, if, if they taught you how to love yourself, if you understood that you have everything that you need, yeah. uh, you wouldn't buy their stuff. Yeah, yes. There would be no global economy because you wouldn't need to buy the Spanx and the false eyelashes and all the, the, the things to fix us. That's so if you true. believe that you're whole and complete, you're how many business, if women just fucking got that they are amazing, that they are peacocks, that they are children of God, do you know how many businesses would go out yeah. of business? Just crash, yeah. Yeah. So there is a benefit to uh, especially uh, think about how most companies are owned by what? Older white dudes. So the older whites do dudes have, have an investment in you staying stuck and small. Yes. Yeah. And so I always say to people, one of the most radical things you can do in the world is get your shit together. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? One of the most radical things you can do is to love yourself. Yeah. And then teach other people how to do the same thing. Yeah. That to me is one of the most rebellious things that you can do. And I've never been a rule follower. I'm like one of those people that it, look, I'm not like out there getting arrested all the time. I don't mean <laughs> it that way. I kind of work the, like I, 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 I change the system within the system. And what I mean by that is it's like, I always say, you know, it's hard to go around. Like it's kind of, it's not hard so much as it's ridiculous to go around complaining about all the trash in the street complaining about what's happening out there when all the, all the trash that's in the street has been blowing out from your own backyard. So it's like, you know, you each have your own little garden to tend to. It's like, you get your shit right. Like you get some healthy stuff happening there. You clean up your act and then automatically you help others to do the same. Mm -hmm. And then you can purposefully go out and do the same, you know? And so a lot of times we're so focused on what's happening out there. And I always say, like A Course in Miracles, the outer world, it's just an outward reflection of an inward condition. Mm -hmm. So when you start to get your mind right, everything that you're projecting out there will change. And that's why I say you change your mind, you change your world. Because you start to understand that you are actually the cause. So going back to what you said about why aren't we taught this, here's what we're taught that we are a victim of the world that we see, that things just happen in the world, and we are victimized by it. We are at the effect, and the cause of our suffering is the world. And what A Course in Miracles taught me, like one of those pivotal moments we had discussed earlier, is that when I realized that I was the cause, that I was projecting my beliefs and my stories out onto the world, and then they were being reflected back to me that I was the cause, the world was the effect. That was so radical to me. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I have been, so what happens is from the time that you project it out, like the world is a big movie screen, mm -hmm. your mind is a projector. And what happens in the process of people at home, people on, on the call, I'm doing all these things with my hands. Right? So you're projecting out onto the world, onto the bigger screen. But in between it going there, you forget that you're the one projecting. Yeah. But then you just see it in front of you and it reflects back to you and you think, oh, I'm at the mercy of that. And it's like, no, it's just a belief that you have becoming like becoming quote unquote real in front of you. Yeah. So part of it is if you clean up your act and you see all the people out there as your brothers and sisters, that your interests are not separate, that you all just want to be loved, you all just want to go home, you all want to be happy, healthy, and safe, you will show up really differently in the world. You'll think twice before saying that snarky comment. You'll be driving behind somebody who maybe is driving too slow or they did something inconsiderate, and you might pause for a minute and you might go, oh, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe you could be blasting people with love instead of your judgment. Radical idea. What if you were curious about people instead of judging them all the time? What if you were curious about yourself yeah. instead of tearing yourself down all the time? And I always say, like, we are master story makers. We are always writing stories and projecting meaning onto things. Mm -hmm. How come we never write stories in our own favor? How come we don't write stories in other people's favor? Mm -hmm. 
And so if I'm, like I always say, if I'm going to go out into the world and be amongst my people, I want to just be blasting them with love. Am I always 100% awesome at that? No. Because <laughs> we're all a little insane. <laughs> we're all a lot insane. But I do the best that I can to like own my shit, right? Own my stuff. Like, you know, if I, if I flub up, if I trespass, what I call just being clumsy, we don't mean to be. Sometimes I'm clumsy. I don't mean to be. But as soon as I come back to my right mind, I, I make a correction. I apologize or I own it or whatever. Yeah. You have that awareness surrounding it. And yes. that is, that's massive. Like you have that awareness to bring yourself back to center and to, you know, then become aligned with your thoughts and, and what you're projecting back into the world. And I think it is so powerful to be able to, what we talked about in the beginning to start with choice, like realizing that you have that choice and then bring it back to also awareness too. And I think I, like, I just remember learning that too. Like when you realize you have a choice, it's like your mind is blown. Like always been there, but it's like, okay, like this, this changes your whole shift and perspective and anything. And you can also, when you tell that to people, you, you see, you know, whether they understand that or not, you know, whether they're, oh, you see yeah, it right, you see it right away. Yes. Yes. And, right and, um, it's not always easy, I think, to, to get people to understand that unless they're ready to receive it, you know? Yeah. Any coach or mentor right now who's listening is shaking their head. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because, uh, knowing that you have a choice, that's like huge. Yeah. But then actually choosing the one that serves you. Yeah. Because sometimes people like, so I actually have this uh, three month program that I'm going to be launching based all on exactly what you're talking about. This clarity, right? It's like clarity, compassion, connection, choice, all these things. Right. So having the clarity, first of all, is like such a huge step. Mm -hmm. But you know, like you're both coaches, right? You know that you have said to a client before or even just a friend who's asked for advice, hey, this is how I see it. You can make this choice, which is clearly to anybody involved, right? The way to go. <laughs> <laughs> or you can do this one. And it is so hard to break free of the old story because yeah. even though it's hell there, it's familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fear of the unknown is like so debilitating for some people. Mm -hmm. And so somebody has to be ready yeah. to end their own suffering. And I look back, I look back to times in my younger life too, when I was like, um, willfully participating in my own suffering, yeah. like all in. Like all in, all money and cabs on the day. I was like all yeah. into my suffering. And then when A Course in Miracles taught me, oh, I actually have a choice? What? Yeah. What? Like it blew my mind. I was like, you're saying it was like, holy moly. And then you just are like, oh man, all those minutes and hours and years yeah. that I could have done differently. But here's what I always say. When you know better, you do better. And yeah. we can't lament the past. We can't, you know, as they say in a lot of different, um, like 12 step programs, you can't build a better past. It is what it is. 
you know, but all you can do now is move forward and, and take those lessons with you. You know what I mean? And so it doesn't do any good to like beat ourselves up for being stupid or crazy or like whatever. Uh, if, if you could have, if you could have had whatever it is, I call it, you know, hardiness. If you could have had that hardiness, that strength at that time to stop doing the thing, you would have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. sometimes it takes, you know, like you said, like the, you call it your ro the rock bottom, right? Mm -hmm. um, so hitting the rock bottom. Or, and, and I say sometimes, you know, sometimes when life brings you to your knees, why don't you just stay there for a few minutes and pray? Like, mm -hmm. while you're already down there, like, why don't you just get gather your shit together and, you know, go online and ask, ask for some help? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. because it's from that place that the rising happens. It does, yeah. And sometimes it takes you coming fully empty-handed, like you are out of best ideas. I always say to people, your best thinking has gotten you where you are. <laughs> you realize, like, I am shit out of ideas. That's when a miracle can happen. Yeah, there's this question that I think um, was just really significant for me and was like, am I, am I willing to feel good? And, and having that awareness that in that moment, I actually wasn't willing to feel good. Yes. I was really attached to my pain. I was really attached to being a victim, to being upset, to, to feeling like abused or something, you know? And like, I was like, oh yeah, no, I like feeling like this. I'm not yes. willing to not be sad right now. And, and, you know, sometimes that's okay. Like sometimes I have to be like, okay, like, I'm not willing to feel good right now and that's okay. I'm just going to stay here for a little bit. But you know, the awareness then brings that point where you're like, okay, now I am willing to feel good. How can I look at this differently? A hundred percent. And the other thing, Kimberly is like one of the gifts of your suffering, I wouldn't change a thing. Like I would not change a thing. Like I do believe like my sweetie's favorite movie is uh, it's a wonderful life. And I really feel that way. We have a big sign actually hanging up downstairs. It says it's a wonderful life. I would not change a thing. I would not change. Like, and I was doing this yesterday. I was really thinking about this because I just came back from my retreat from the group coaching program that I'm in and the, the business coaching program that I'm in. And one of, the, one of the facilitators came up to me. We had a conversation about this. And he was saying, like, you really do, like, live, like, this is a wonderful life. And I said, yeah, you know. When you get to a point where you can look back at your life and you would say, I wouldn't change a thing. You know some, 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 some story to your glory has happened. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I was looking back and I was like, well, what about that thing? Would I give up that one? Because that one sucked. <laughs> like, I, was really think I was really thinking about it. And I was like, no, because you know what I learned from that one? I learned this. And that's been so valuable to me. So the gift of our suffering is that it gives us perspective. It teaches us how strong we are, but it also gives us deep compassion for others mm. who are also suffering. And their story doesn't have to match yours, but all you know is when you're in the pain, right? And when somebody else, you can clearly see they're in their pain, it gives you such mercy and tenderness and compassion and gentleness and I wouldn't change that for anything so when you said like yeah and and now you can look back and you're like wow I loved being in my pain isn't that crazy like when you say it out loud you're like yeah. what, what was wrong with me <laughs> what it was is some part of our little kid was getting some sort of need met 
in that victimization. Mm-hmm. And whether we got an excuse as to why we didn't have to, to heal or play bigger, maybe we got attention, maybe, what, I, I, whatever it was, we got to be right. We're often not surrendering it because we're getting something from it. Yeah. And we're not smart enough. We're not, we don't know, we're, we're not smart enough at that point to know that's why we're doing it. All we know is I'm really good at suffering. I was a professional sufferer. <laughs> I was a professional victim, right? You know? So good at it. Yeah, I was so good at it. <laughs> I was really good at the drama, like, oh, the dead mother or whatever, this, 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 you know? Because also as kids, uh, we often, like I was saying earlier, we have a common, we have a common, um, it's an easy way to connect through people. Like you see it in really old people. Like sometimes, you know, when old people, all they want to tell you about is their gout and the pills they're taking and they didn't sleep <laughs> and it's hot out and oh my God. Like some people connect through their suffering. Mm-hmm. And I would rather, I'm just at a place in my life, like I would rather connect through successes and joys and uh, places of strength rather than our misery. But when we're younger, it's like the drama and the gossiping and the kibitzing and the, you know, the competition of who has it the worst and like whatever, you know. Yeah. I have so much, but I have so much empathy for the younger versions of ourselves. I mean, weren't we just doing the best we could? Yeah. Yeah. We're just trying so hard to like stay alive, like literally you guys, like, you know what I mean? Like, thank God, because those versions of us, look, they were pretty badass because they got us here Mm and didn't give up. Yeah. They didn't give up. So I I pat her on the back and say, hey, kid, you did all right. (laughs) You know, you did all right. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking, I like wrote something about this the other day, like, and I had been... I had like really, sometimes I just gloss over the period of my life from like 15 to 20 and I forget like what actually, like how I felt in that moment and things that were actually happening. And I was like, I think I was like meditating or tapping or doing something and I like really went to that place and like being able to witness it and being like, holy shit, there was so many, there were so many things that happened at that time. I don't know how I'm alive or like not a drug addict. Like I'm pretty sure that that 15 year old version of me, she in fact might be stronger in some ways than I am now. Like if all of that were to happen to me now, I almost feel like, how would I even like, how did she do with it? Like, I'm just in awe of her. Like, yes. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so so good. Uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm lowering. Viewers at home, you can see my face right now. Like I have a big smile. It's like yes, because first of all, it's like one of the disservices that's happening. It feels like I'm going off topic here, but I'm going to circle back. One of the disservices of a lot of I don't even know what the words are. Somebody said butterfly parenting the other day. I'm assuming that's like helicopter parenting. I don't know. One of the disservices that that parents do today is that they don't let their kids make mistakes, fall down, suffer, get it wrong. Because they don't learn that they have the capacity to survive and to overcome. Kids are fucking resilient, man. Kids are so incredibly resilient. And those younger versions of ourselves were given opportunities to discover and to see. 
Like we can look back now exactly as you're saying. People always say to me, like, like you guys, like, so you've heard me speak and you usually hear me tell like one part of the story, right? My mother being murdered. There are so many other stories. And so the people who know me the best will often like look at me and go, how did you even turn out halfway normal? I'm like, dude, I don't know, right? But I look back and I think, God bless that kid, man, because she was tough, right? And even for all the things, like people will say, you know, oh, like your dad, like your stepdad was hardcore. And I say, yeah, I mean, trust me, did he get a lot of things wrong? Mm-hmm. But his way of like interacting with me, um, it toughened me up and it ultimately prepared me for what was going to come. And I'm not saying I always did it gracefully or well, but I had within me a tenacity and a resiliency and a hardiness that allowed me to survive. And same thing with you. Like you can look back, be in reverence to that 15 year old. Like, did she always do it right? Mm. No. <laughs> but the fact that she got you here in some way, it's like, yeah, like, wow. But here's what I will say. We look back and it can be really easy to say like, oh, I did that. Like, I did that. And it's like, did you? Yes. But that's those moments where I'm saying, like I always say to my clients, you are always, always being held in the soft palm of the beloved. Mm. So you did it through, like, you're like, I don't even know how I survived. And the whole time you were saying that in my head, I was just saying, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, that's how you survived it. That's how you did it. Is that some part of you, right? That, that, that I always say there is always a part of your mind that is in communion with God. And so some part of you did not give up. It did not cut that tether that you can't ever do it. Like that's the whole thing. I always say like, you can never truly be separated from your source. You can think it, but you can't, it's, it, it's impossible for you and God to actually be separated. But man, can you turn that voice way down low? Yeah. And so some part of you held on to that like a life raft even if you weren't conscious of it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just like, it's beautiful. Like I get like, I get emotional when I think about it. It's like so many of us are just like, oh my God, you know, how, how did I survive it? And I say, oh my God, it's a miracle. Isn't it, isn't it a miracle that we're all still standing here where we aren't literally dead in some way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we've all got, I mean, each one of you have got your stories. Yeah. And it could have turned out really differently. And now here you are helping other people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's pretty incredible. It is. And you can't unlearn what you know. Like you can't like now, even for the listeners listening, like hearing that you have a choice, hearing that there is awareness surrounding your choice, hearing that you are never disconnected from source and from God. And, you know, even if you may think so, like those, those thoughts are not real. You know? Yeah. hundred percent not real. And that's why when A Course in Miracles says only, only love is real. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's what I always say to people, you know, all we really want to be focusing on is all the love that's ever been given and all the love that's ever been received. Yeah. That to me is what God, you know, people get weird around that word. I'm like, God is simply love. Yeah. God just is. 
So we don't, if you want to make it a white dude in a robe, awesome. If you want to, like, you can, <laughs> whatever you, I would say, I don't get attached to it. I don't care what you call it. I don't care what you visualize it as. What I do care is that you have some sort of relationship with it that allows you to have a sense of your true self, your peacockness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you're one of God's kids. And so, you know, when, you know, I'm a little bit like, you know, today when I do a live, it's a little tough love Thursday, right? So my little tough love is like, I always say to my, my clients, like you are a child of God. Start acting like it. Start acting like it. And this is really about, you know, the over, the over kind of umbrella of the work that I do is like, you know, the, the fearless flow stuff. It's like, the whole thing about being in the fearless flow of your life. First of all, it's a flow. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not hot. It's like you're in a flow, but you're in a flow because you know you're not walking it alone, that you have help, right? And that beautiful line from A Course in Miracles that says, if you knew, if you knew, not just intellectually, like, uh, like if you knew who walked beside you on this way that you have chosen, chosen you would realize that fear is impossible yes so if you knew that your spiritual team whether you call them your guides your angels god's sort if you just knew that like literally imagine like the archangels like your people were always with you because we cannot be separated not only from god but or from each other so when i go out into the world think about this for a second when i go out into the world if there's just one collective consciousness, if there's one mind, Karen Kenny doesn't have to know all the answers. I can tap into the collective consciousness of every smart genius being that's ever lived. Mm. So when I go to mentor or to coach, I take Grace with me and I take Kimberly with me and I take Amber with me and I take Rachel with me and I take Tori with me and I take God with me and my spiritual team and Jesus and Einstein and Martin Luther King and Mother Mary, like the, it's all source. Yeah. So I don't have to have it all figured out and all. All I have to tap into is what I really am, which is love. Yeah. It's the business that says I have to have modules and this many steps. <laughs> but if I'm just listening, if I'm just really looking and listening and hearing and receiving, my natural instinct is just to love. And here was, here's what we know, you guys. And this, is one, this was one of the greatest losses for me when I lost my mother, is my mother was the one person who made me feel loved. Mm-hmm. So I felt invincible. I had assuredness about me. So when she left, that was also one of the greatest gifts, is that in losing her, I had to establish my own sense of trust and confidence in knowing and self through my relationship with God. So do you see what I'm saying? It's like we have access to such power. So if we're one of God's kids, if who we are is love and our only job is to extend that love, it's like stop moving through the world in that way. No more playing small, no more tail feathers down, no more being stuck in your story. It is time to be glorious. And we're all being called forward. I mean, take a look around. 
The world is losing its collective mind. So we need the light workers and the miracle workers, and we need the, the people who are sane enough to know that we have choices to up their game. And it's like, are we going to answer the call? Are we going to make the choice for love or not? Yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, what work do you do with your clients? But I think you just answered that, <laughs> that question. What, what were some of the things that you do with your clients? But absolutely, when you, when you bring it back and center it to love, like that, that is where it radiates from. Like, like every choice that you can make when it is when it is wrapped in love is what guides you being. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, and we, we think about, you know, love doesn't mean that you become a victim or you become a doormat or you play small or any of those things. Sometimes it's like, you know, you, you have to go to jail because you did this thing, but we can even lock people up with love. Do you see what I'm saying? It's yeah. because you become dangerous to yourself and these other people. So you can't be out here because that's not loving to the rest of the world to let you run around murdering and raping people. Yeah. So even when we're making a decision that for a lot of time as parents, right, can feel like tough love, like, oh my God, I got to tell my kid no. You don't tell him no because you're trying to punish the bastard. <laughs> tell him no because you love them. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, the work that I do with my clients, it's really like a four-step proven system which is we tell the story because in order to know where you're going, you got to know where you're coming from. We got to deal with those core beliefs, those core wounds. So mm. you tell the story, then you have to have a willingness to let go of the story. And this doesn't mean that we abandon the story or we abandon our debt. You know, I always say to people like I work with people who have had more than their fair share of wicked hard shit happen to them. And I help them to lead a life like nothing bad has ever happened. But that doesn't mean that we abandon our dead and we forget where we came from. We, we dive in and we tell that story, but then we have to have a willingness to let go of the current meaning that we've assigned it. Yeah. Then we rewrite the story with God and our spiritual team. And then we go out into the world and we start to live a new story with the divine. And that's really the work. And, and when you learn how to do that with one particular thing, or many stories, you realize I have the tools to meet no matter what shows up. Yeah. I can live my life. Like people say, oh, happily ever after doesn't exist. And I say bullshit. Because if you have the tools to navigate and to meet whatever arises at your door with an openness, even if you don't like it, but you know it's for you, what is there to fear? Yeah. I love that. I mean, no. And I love you guys. I'm just looking at your faces, and I'm like, oh my god, I just love them so much. <laughs> we're we're both just sitting here, like, and obviously awe, like, because yeah. not like, not only like hearing that you know we we have had just the privilege to to share this space with you and in retreats and at summit and stuff like that, but also it just constantly feels like learning like learning from you and then getting like listeners to be able to experience that as well and so you know I'm so grateful for everything that you're sharing and everything 
that they'll be able to hear and experience and be open. Like, like I said, like once you know, like you can't unknow it. And so for people that realize that, you know, you do have a choice that it centers from love, like this is you knowing now. So go out there and like, don't pretend like you don't know anymore (laughs) because we're telling you, you know, this, this is it. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead, Kimberly. I was going to say, which I think is a lot of the reason why a lot of people want to live with their blinders on because once they know then they'll have to do something and yes. take those actions and that's yeah. hard so yeah holding yourself accountable yeah. is really uncomfortable yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so so oh my god i have an old i'm like my, my old brain is like trying to hold on to three things right now that you, you <laughs> so first of all before i forget i just want to say Uh, you're like, oh, I'm so grateful that the listeners get to hear. I'm so grateful for you guys for inviting me on here and just giving me an opportunity um, to to geek out and to talk about what I love and and to share what excites me and to share my ministry and mission because it's, I always say like, it isn't, I, I never take it lightly when other coaches and people like invite me into their space and trust me enough to like that their people are going to be in good hands. You know what I mean? That they trust me enough to, to place for an hour or whatever it is, other people into my care. So just thank you for that trust. Like that's a huge deal. I want to say that. Number two is that, um, and I fully received what you said, like your kindness, um, your kind words that you just shared with me. But I would be remiss. I would be remiss as a Course in Miracles person, as a teacher. There's a line in A Course in Miracles that says, um, the only thing or person, however you want to word it, that you should ever be in awe of is God. Mm. So I always say to people, save your awe for God. What another brother or sister is showing you in any area is just like what's possible. And that's why like Jesus is on my spiritual team because he was just a dude who removed everything but love. So he shows me what's possible. Same thing with like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. Like my heroes. I just think like, What's so amazing isn't like, what's so amazing is that they show me what's possible in human form, which just makes me so excited. So I'm not, I'm learning to get better at receiving love and compliments. So thank you so much for that. But I just want to say like, I'm not special. Like I don't have anything that you don't have. You know, like we all have access to this. And then it points right to what Kimberly was saying, right? We all have access to it, but we don't choose it because it's scary and hard to realize how powerful you are, Mm -hmm. to let go of your excuses. Because, and it goes back to what you were saying, Grace, so wisely, is that like, once you know, you can't unknow, you can't unring that bell. Yeah. So sometimes we don't even want to admit that we know because then we'd have to hold ourselves accountable. Mm -hmm. But... Going back again to what Kimberly said, it's only hard because we're trying to do it on our own. This is what great mentors and coaches do, is they walk beside you and they hold the vision for you, of you, your strength, your greatness, your power, until you are ready to receive it and claim it and accept it for yourself. So it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be scary. You walk with if you knew who walked beside you, right? It's like, but we resist it. We fight it so much being kids of God. Yeah. Because we're nuts. <laughs> so whoever is saner at the moment gets to point out or send the elevator back down or reach down and pull others up 
Whoever gets there first, you have a responsibility to turn around and help the ones coming up behind you. Mm-hmm. You leave a trail of breadcrumbs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Guys, we're all just sitting here staring at people. The people at home, we're all just sitting here staring at people. I know, I know. I know. I don't, I don't want the podcast to end. Like, I could talk to you all day, you know. We could talk this stuff all day, <laughs> but um, um, <laughs> you want to ask your last your last question? You want to wrap, wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my we'll have to edit this out. My um, internet just kind of stalled for a second, but um, yeah, Karen. Um, you know, thank you so much for sharing this today and for for being here. Like we had said earlier. Um, and for taking your time to be here and share this with the listeners, like your truth with the listeners. Um, I have a question that um, I usually ask, uh, you know, the name of the podcast is We Need to Talk. Yeah. And so, yeah. So whenever you say to somebody like, hey, Karen, we need to talk, you're instantly like, okay, what's it going to be about? And so I wonder, what would that look like for you if there was one topic that you thought that the universe needed to talk about? We, like it's collective people, whatever it is, if it's politics, if it's veganism, animals, um, whatever that looks like for you, what would that topic be that we need to talk about? What do you think? Well, yeah, here's what I would say. I think it would be really easy to like, I have a lot of um, like, whether you call them causes, right? So yeah, I've been a vegan for 15 years. Um, I think, look, I think we need to talk about a lot of things, right? (laughs) Systemic racism, the way women are portrayed, uh, veganism, the way animals are treated, uh, sex trafficking, like you name it, like we have a lot of shit to talk about. However, if we talk about really the one big problem, all of those get solved. Mm-hmm. So if we need to talk about how we believe that we are separate from God, how we believe that we are separate from our source, from ourselves, from each other, and from love, this bullshit story that we have written about how we need to hustle and compete and compare and get mine and there's not enough and blah, 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 blah. All of that struggle and strife comes from the core belief that you believe you are separate from the divine, that you are separate from spirit and source and self. If we can talk about that, and if we can get some tools in people's hands for learning how to deepen that divine alignment so that they actually, everything they're doing in their life, the way that they speak, the way that they act, the way that they think, when they get, literally get, that they, again, it goes back to that choice that you are either choosing, right, the, the teacher of fear and the ego, or you are choosing the teacher of love, which is spirit or Holy Spirit. When you really get that, when you get that you are either being a hostage to the ego or a host to God, and you get to choose, because if you choose to be a host to God, There is nothing that you cannot do. There is no wound that you cannot overcome. There is no story that you cannot transform to glory. There is no fear. Like your whole life becomes the fearless flow. So to me, the one thing we would have to talk about is the biggest bullshit story that you've told yourself, which is that you are separate from God. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah. Uh, I also just have one last question, but I feel like you kind of just answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, 
so throughout your life, all of the different hats that you've worn from yes. daughter to sister to entrepreneur to yoga teacher to a student of Course in Miracles, all of the different hats, what have those hats taught you about what it means to be human? <sighs> so I think what I would say, so that to me goes back to this um, identity situation, right? How we label ourselves, the boxes that we put ourselves in, mm -hmm. how the world wants us to identify, right? I'm somebody's wife. I'm somebody's friend. Uh, I'm a mom to furry kids. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. Like I just had new business cards done and I had to put my title on them. I'm like, Fuck, what the, you know, like I got to <laughs> choose like of all the things I am, what am I going to put on here? Right? Whatever. Yeah. So it's business focused. So you're like spiritual mentor, writer, speaker, storyteller, boom, easy. But I would say that as I've gotten older, the thing I most identify as is again, it's child of God. That's like my number one. And I have these other areas of interest and I have these other skill sets and they all inform. It's like, I say like, I want to stop the world to stop seeing like through this one lens of color. Like to me, what I get to be is a kaleidoscope. I am all those things, but mainly the heartbeat of what I am is I'm a child of God who gets to serve through being a storyteller, being a spiritual mentor, being somebody's wife, being somebody's mom. I am just a delivery system for love. I just do it in a lot of different ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I love it. I do too. I love you guys. Okay, so it's like, we're all like, I'm like, you know, Kelsey Abbott's waiting. I got to call and yeah. we're just shooting the shit. We're hanging out. It's amazing. But this is what I love. Like, you guys, you don't understand. I love podcasts. Like, I love being a guest. I love getting to share. I'm so on it that I get to have conversations about things that matter with people I love. So I'm so happy you guys are doing this work in the world that you have your your projects and your offerings. And I know Kimberly that you're moving into one-to-one -one uh, <laughs> and mentoring, which is very exciting. And I know Grace, you've got a bunch of different things coming on with the rise project with Crystal and your own, uh, your, your beautiful t-shirts and uh, sweatshirts. You're, you are a story worth loving. You guys have incredible stuff that you're doing in the world. So thank you, my sisters for just, right. You're paving the way for the young women and men that are coming up behind you too. So thank you for the awesome breadcrumbs that you're leaving as well. Oh, thank you, Karen. I, I know, um, you know, thank you so much for that, but the listeners are going to want to know where to find you. So where can they, where can they connect with you? I just, I, I know they're going to be, <laughs> you know, ready to. So where would be the best place? Yeah. So I always say like, so I always spell it just because people always goof up my last name. So my website is simply, it's just Karen, K-A-R-E-N, K-E-N-N-E-Y. Don't forget that second E. So it's just KarenKenny.com. You can just write to me. I always say you can email me, Karen at KarenKenny.com. You can find me on Facebook. Just that your viewers obviously can't see me, but the promo pick just match my face like granimals, just match my face to the thing. <laughs> I think I think my personal page on Facebook is like Karen Kenny dot writer. Um, my business page is Karen Kenny dot live L I V E. Same thing. My IG handle is uh, Karen Kenny live L I V E. 
you can join my um, MFN, my motherfucking Peacocks Facebook group. Like, I'm just open. My pe- You're all my people, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> so if you feel some sort of resonance in your heart, if you're curious, you just want to say hi, send up a flare, come find me. We'll have fun. It'll be great. <laughs> I have some retreats. I have some retreats coming up. Um, you know, yeah, your group coaching. Yeah. Yeah my, yeah. my story to your glory group coaching program will be opening up really shortly. Just figuring out the final, <clears throat> the final, we talked about this earlier, just figuring out the final uh, little uh, details and stuff like that. But I'm really jazzed because I've only been doing one-to-one um, and I just know the power of healing in a group and diving deep in a group and expressing and creating together. And uh, I'm just wicked excited for that too. So. Yeah, we're excited for you. Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks for coming on. Hey guys, we need to talk. I just wanted to take a moment and thank you so much for being here, for being part of this incredible, amazing tribe and just amazing community. You know, it takes a lot for somebody to be able to be vulnerable and to share their stories in this manner. And it also takes a lot for somebody to be able to listen and to hold space and that's you. And so thank you for that. And if you find yourself needing help, if you find yourself wanting to connect on a deeper level, if you find yourself just wanting to reach out and talk to either me or Kimberly, please do not hesitate to do so. Um, That's available to you guys and so many avenues. And we love hearing from you. And if you have a moment, please head on over to iTunes and leave a review and let us know what you think. You know, your thoughts are important to us, your stories are important to us, and we love hearing from you. Until next time.